is a spiritual journey. There's no end to a spiritual journey. Even when we're out of the body, we go to a certain plane in the universe, we're at rest, and then we incarnate again. And if you don't believe in reincarnation, that's fine. You know that ultimately your spiritual life during the 80, 90 years that you're here never ends. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Oh, my goodness, I've got a hot one for you today. I hope you enjoyed your Labor Day weekend. With me today, I have Dr. Francis Yahia, a mental health counselor, Akashic Records reader, archetypal astrologer, podcast host, and college professor. She uses universal laws, metaphysics, mythology, and astrology to create theories and therapeutic tools to help clients heal subconscious wounds and transgenerational trauma. Her most recent book, which is a fantastic book, I highly suggest you get it. The link will be in the show notes. The Seven Gates, Seven Steps Beyond Self-Awareness is a seven-step module that teaches you how to take your power back. This is a hot episode. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did interviewing her. She is a very intelligent lady. Please take a minute and rate and review the show. I greatly appreciate it and enjoy this episode. Dr. Francis Yahio, welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. It's such an honor to have you today. I am grateful for you taking the time to spend with me today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be here. And it's a pleasure to have you because it's it, this is an interesting topic because there's a lot of people that don't quite understand Akashic Records and also your book is amazing. It breaks it down wonderfully. I can't wait to finish it and do the extra, the works the workbook at the end. Thank you. Before we begin, can you share a little bit about your story and how you discovered your passions? It looks like you have multiple. You wear many hats. Well, they're all sort of unified. Um, I think during the journey, I thought they were all different. And then I found the commonality. But I was actually born into a cult. So it wasn't a cult, I'd say, initially. My background is Cuban. And it's very typical to be Cuban and be raised in Afro-Cuban traditions, which is what I was, which is based in mythology. And as many cult leaders, she got a little greedy and, and, and prideful. And that's when I decided to leave at 33. But I can tell you that I learned something very powerful during those early years. My parents were the financial arm of the cult or the spiritual community. And I learned very early on that spirit and matter cannot be separated. It's the two states of being that we have, our earthly form and our divine nature. And I think that was one of the greatest takeaways. 
when I left the cult, I felt I was a bit abandoned, so to speak, by God or spirit. And I met another gentleman who was a medium, dated him for a few years. He helped me a little bit on my spiritual journey. And again, I found myself in another existential crisis. And at this point, I was introduced to astrology. And I went and got an astrology reading. And what's supposed to be an hour lasted about 10 minutes. And he told me something I had never heard before. And he had said that I was entitled and would be in charge of my own spiritual life. And I was like, sign me up. (laughs) So I started astrology classes, became an astrologer. And then driving one day, I heard the words Akashic Records. I looked up an Akashic Records teacher. I studied, I became an Akashic Records reader. And I'd say that when I found the Akashic Records, I was home. I realized that all of this had led me to the exact space that I needed to be and wanted to be. At that point, through the Akashic Records, with reading for myself and reading for other people, doing astrology readings, uh, my PhDs in mental health, I really started to understand the psyche, subconscious programming, and pulling all of these threads together that created the, the book, The Seven Gates, which is the model of the subconscious and how we sort of show up in the world. So all of these threads are basically unified and universal laws, which all traditions and philosophies and religions ascribe to. So ultimately, everything ties back to universal laws. So the tools may look different, but they're all tied into the the laws of the universe. Okay. So I'm very familiar with Akashic records and use them frequently. However, I don't know how to read them. So, of course, I have a guide to help me understand because I'm far from qualified to open up my own records. And I don't know if it's proper to open up your own records. I think it, I think the, is a reader needed to open up your records? No, not at all. Actually, there's four levels of Akashic reading that I teach. And the first level is to teach someone how to read their own records. And it really is sort of the the message that I try to impart with everything I write and teach. Be the teacher, be the guru, be the leader that you've been looking for, which is ultimately where my life led me. The the spiritual teachers that I encountered as good as they might've been were not me. And I had to become that for myself. And it was really through Akashic Records that that began to happen. So I do encourage you to learn to read your own records. It's a very simple process. And you really learn to listen to that sort of still voice within. And it's accessible to everybody. It's a pretty simple process through a prayer. Okay. Now, for the listeners who aren't aware of Akashic Records, what are the Akashic Records? Okay. So the word Akashic is a Sanskrit word that means space or ether. So kind of let me give you a little bit of the the breakdown of how the universe is set up. And it's kind of weird. The universe and nothing in spirituality is hierarchical. But just for a moment, because sometimes it's hard for us to think of anything but hierarchy, there are seven planes in the universe. They're all existing in the same space, in the same place all at once in sort of a cyclical or spherical dimension. But if you want for a moment, just kind of think of a ladder and there's seven, there's seven planes. 
As humans, we are only entitled because of the density of our body to have access to four. And the highest one is the Akashic plane, the Akashic records. So basically, if you think of an energy field that surrounds absolutely everything in the universe, everything that's been said, that's been done, that's been thought is stored in these records. And we have access to our own personal records and that of the universe through the Akashic prayer, the Akashic lens. I mean, why do we only have access to four? Because we're dense human beings. We're in this body. So we're in the element, we have all elements, ether, air, fire, water, and earth. But because we're primarily earth in the sense of, of the body, we're not having access to some of these much more subtle planes in the universe. However, there is a universal law called the law of correspondence that states as above, so below. And we do know that whatever's happening in this plane is sort of like a view to God's eye or God's mind in the higher planes. So we have access through that law of correspondence. We may not be able to visibly see it, but we can experience that through that law. But it has to do with the density of our body, that we don't have the subtlety of those higher planes. And again, they're not elsewhere. They're still here. That's why I invite you to use the hierarchy ladder image just to sort of organize your thoughts. It's very difficult to understand sort of the magnitude of the universe and that everything is encompassed in everything. It's, it's difficult. So we have that sort of idea of, of a ladder to separate the planes, even though nothing's separate. Okay. 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 We're going to dive into some deep stuff today. So for the listeners who are not aware of metaphysics and maybe Hinduism, chakras, Ayurveda, Kabbalah, perhaps, and they're trying to figure out where does all this fit in, they might have a, a understanding of the Bible and that goes well beyond, and this goes well beyond the Bible. How do we fit all this together? Because it, it does, correct? Yes. So again, the universal laws. So there are laws that govern the universe. And whether we know them or not, we're sort of obligated to these laws. So everything that I write in all of the workbooks and theories that I put out are all based on these universal laws. That's why these models work. So every single tradition, religion, or philosophy understands these laws, and they're written into the spiritual text or the spiritual literature. Now, another layer is like the mythology or the story. So the Bible obviously has the story of Jesus, and the Hindu philosophy has several books, and one is the Bhagavad Gita, which is the story of Krishna and Arjuna. And every philosophy, tradition, religion basically just says a story. It's a mythology. But if you strip away the characters and the costumes, the locations, you're going to discover the creation of the universe is the same and the universal laws that we're all sort of buying into, whether we're aware of them or not, are found through all of these traditions. So whether it's Kabbalah or Hinduism or Christianity, they're all saying the same thing. And so that's some of what I try to do is strip apart the archetypes, the story, the myths, the patterns, 
so that people can realize that no matter what they believe in, whether it's a philosophy, a religion, a tradition, a spiritual practice, it all says the same thing. I actually created the 12 truths to a spiritual path. No matter what you already do, it has a place in those 12 truths. My model is simply so you don't skip a step, but everything you're already doing has a viable place in it because all traditions say ultimately the same thing. Wow. That's a trip. <laughs> let's let's dig in. We're going to dig into your book today. And uh, now that we have the basics out of the way, we have some understanding of what Akashic Records are. By the way, I love the dedication part of your book to my little three birds who make everything right. It's a great quote, but are you talking about the three little birds that Bob Marley's talking about? Yes. <laughs> yes. So I That's do I have thought. three little birds. I have three, three children. They're older now. They're all in college, but you know, I would, I would play that song for them when they were little and I'm Cuban. And even though bird and pollito aren't the exact thing, pollito sort of like chickadee. And I have a, a, a theory that's called feed and fly. And one of the things I've written in one of my latest books, uh, Dethroning Olympus about a family systems is that as parents unknowingly, we castrate our children and their ability to feed and fly. So there's a metaphor there with the birds and the chickies. And if we don't help our children develop their beak, then they can't feed. And we do that unknowingly. And that's one of the big realizations that I had when I got cancer and wrote this book, what I had done unknowingly to harm my children and have since been rectifying that. So they are the motivation. Ultimately, my spiritual work is for my soul, but my motivation that drives me are those three little birds. Wow. So that was pretty much the catalyst of your book, The Cancer and the Children. And it took you how many years to write this? 40? Well, I was 43 when I finished it. Okay. Because I guess I needed the ending. And actually, from that book, several books have come. And I actually had two bouts of cancer after that. Wow. After I wrote Seven Gates, I still, I continued to get cancer and I was five years with cancer and I'm now cancer free over a year um, because of deeper work that I did based on this model. Okay. But the cancer was absolutely a catalyst. I heard in the Akashic Records, pull it out by the root. And I had to go to the root root of my subconscious and really identify where these patterns were coming from in order to heal. And once I was able to literally travel to the seven gates, then I was cancer-free, not a moment before. So it is a deep process. It's a self-discovery process. And the seven gates, the title is rooted in a mythology, a Sumerian myth from Inanna. And she was the sky god and she was invited to hell or the underworld to visit her sister, Reshigal. And there were seven doors or gates that opened each time that she was going deeper, deeper, deeper in to visit her sister. And with each gate, she was removed articles of clothing. And by the time she got to the underworld, she was naked. And her sister insulted that she would be naked at the funeral of her husband, hung her on a butcher's hook. 
And it's actually the original story of Jesus. Again, it goes back to the stories are all teaching the same, the same message, the characters and location is what changes. And from that death, she actually had a baby and was birthed anew. So one of the things that this book invites you to do is have a dance with yourself of removing veils, the masks that you wear, really get naked with the truth what's called nuda veritas, which is get to the naked truth of who you really are. And that's the point of this book and everything that I write and that I teach is to help you. The the subconscious is very, very tricky. It's what I say is called psychological musical chairs. And you think you're seeing an aspect, but really it's just another facade. It's it's very fascinating how the psyche works. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. (laughs) So you said something in there about this, the seven gates and how this, this story relates to Jesus. How does that, what's the relationship there in the Bible? The relationship is that Jesus was crucified on a cross. And what ultimately happened with the resurrection was sort of the divine aspect of Jesus was born anew or resurrected. And that's what we're being invited to do in any spiritual tradition is to kill off aspects of our lower nature, our animal consciousness, our low vibration, which we inherit at the moment of conception, and birth a spiritual or divine being, a higher version or a higher consciousness of ourselves. Wow. So we see this throughout mythology, astrology, philosophy, religion. It's ultimately the low-level consciousness, the animal nature, hence the manger being born in a manger, represents our low-level consciousness. Do you know why Jesus was born in a manger? No. Okay, I'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We are all born in a family. And what we get from our parents is not only our body and our genetics, but we get our thoughts we get our emotions, we get our desires, and we get a low-level consciousness level. This is considered the constellation of cancer, like in the stars, what we, what we consider the sign of cancer. Cancer, we know it as the crab, but actually in the sky, there is a cluster that's called the beehive cluster that is uh, said to mean praesipi, and praesipi in Latin means manger. So what it indicates is we are all born among the animals with a low level vibration in our body. We're animals. And what we're trying to do in this lifetime is become the divine, that the human consciousness that we are. And that's what Jesus and Buddha modeled for us. Wow. I'm a cancer, by the way. Oh, you are? Okay. <laughs> so this is for everybody, not just cancer. constellation. <laughs> But because cancer is the sign of the family, it's indicative that it's the family consciousness that we inherit at conception that we're trying to sort of move away from or individuate from. So I call it the honeypot. And what I say to clients is imagine your divine soul is a diamond and you dip it in honey. Imagine how difficult that is to remove all that honey. Everything sticks to it. That honey is your low-level consciousness that you got from your mom and your dad. Your consciousness level, your thoughts, your emotions, your desires. Your job in this lifetime is to individuate. 
to move away from that honey. It doesn't mean that you can't have a relationship with your family. That's not what that means at all. What it means is come and do your own individual will, your own soul's purpose. And you have to move away from the manger or the low-level animal consciousness that you inherited at conception to do that work. Whoa. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so we're talking about mother, father, child. Which in your book, the seven step model, the mother, father, child triad. What are is the seven step model in the mother, father, child triad? Okay, so let me first explain how the subconscious develops, because that'll explain why the mother, father, and child. So ultimately, we can all be, we can all agree. Something that we, everyone can agree is that you have a mother and a father, an egg and a sperm. It doesn't matter if you're a test tube baby, adopted, abandoned, it does not matter. You know you come from an egg and a sperm, some masculine and some female or feminine presence. Energetically, we all have these two, this combination. So that's what the model is, is based on. It's a law called the law of gender. So at the moment of conception, you inherit a state of mind that is your parents. Whatever your parents are struggling with, my dad didn't close the sale that day or my mother's feeling overweight or the cookies didn't come out perfect. It does not matter the story. Whatever the level of consciousness, whatever the thoughts are at the moment of conception becomes your subconscious mind. This mind you will fight with your entire life until you learn to understand it. So that's the first step, moment of conception. Second is pregnancy. During pregnancy, you get what I call your shadow love language. And you learn a conditional version of love. Mom was working, let's say, into the last day of pregnancy before her water broke. You think, oh, if I work hard, I will get love. So we learn in the womb how to seek love in unhealthy ways. The third thing is our birth process, the way we move into the world. Your birth story will speak to all other transitions that you have in your life, mainly your sexual transition and ultimately your death transition out of the body. So if you don't learn to do it different, you will repeat that pattern and we want to learn to do it differently. And then the fourth step of the subconscious development is what's called the zero to seven years. So just like in religion, there was a character in a location, whether it's Jesus or Buddha or Krishna, you too have a story. You have characters, you have a mythology, you have a location. And that story you will live out, like your religious story, like your philosophy of life, throughout your life, unless you learn to identify the characters and rewrite it. So we're very, very, very programmed from the moment of conception, but let's just call it zero to seven. So the mother-father-child triad is an opportunity for you in a very simple way to know what your subconscious is saying and what characters are showing up in your life and why. The seven steps give you the steps of how to rewrite that. So how do you get your triad? Three simple questions. I call this a psychological x-ray that I ask clients. First is tell me the good and bad of your mother, the good and the bad of your father, and who you were and who you told you were as a child from zero to seven. 
the good buckets, the good qualities of mom and dad are good things about yourself that you don't struggle with. Those are great qualities, coping skills, assets you have, you don't struggle. The bad buckets are the things that you as a child, as your subconscious was developing during those zero to seven years, again, consciously, not because it didn't develop at the moment of conception. You put literally in a bucket and you called it bad and you said, put that away. That's not good. I don't want to be that. And so the bad of mom and dad become what's called your shadow. That shadow rules your life. You spend your entire life trying to pretend you are not that, and that actually rules your life. So this model is an attempt to bring that to the conscious mind so that it doesn't rule you, but you rule it. And then the child script, which is what you describe yourself as as a child, others also described you as a child. And now those are the prophecies that you live out. So if they said you were not intelligent or you were the pretty one, you will go through life living out that script so that you could get, quote unquote, an unconditional version of love, which doesn't exist. We only get conditional version of love from others. Unconditional love only exists within ourselves. Whoa. Okay. (laughs) All right. I'm going to skip ahead and then come back. Okay. Because I I know it's a lot. No, no, no. I get it because okay. I've been working on this with an Akashic Books reader. Okay. Akashic Records reader. Because I have some issues in my life that have surfaced as I've progressed through my life. And now that I'm 60 some years old, I'm trying to figure out why I have these issues. So we've been digging back into my inner child, which I call Tommy, and working on the bad buckets, like my father, mainly my father. I have a lot of good buckets from my mother and a lot of bad buckets from my father. Not that he's a bad person, but because the things I saw and felt as I was growing up. So we've been digging into these and they really hit home. Now we're working on moving away from them and to reversing them and moving forward with some of the stuff that I have to deal with from the bad buckets. Well, you can't move away from them. Okay. And you can't reverse them. Okay. What you can do is integrate them and do it differently. And in the book, I talk about a band aid approach. A is awareness. This is obviously where you've you've gotten to. And I'd like to address some of the comments that you said. I is integration. That's when you come to the realization from your heart, not your head, that you are indeed exactly your mother and your father. And D is doing it differently, where you now realize that you don't have to do it exactly the way that they did it. You get to do it differently. That's when you actually take control of your life. So do you know how the inner child is created? No, let's do that. Because I know as a child, from your book and also from my experience that when you're in the womb, you experience everything from your mother and you see things and you feel things. So that's something that creates inside of us that, that it develops our feelings, basically. Like my mama screaming or my mama crying or my mama, you know, 
laughing or whatever. You that's something you inherit with from within the womb. Right. And that feeling body becomes your emotional state and what you think love should look like. That definition of love that you learn in the womb, you create in your life. So if somebody was abused in the womb, the mother was kicked in the belly, that child will develop a love language thinking that abuse and violence is love. This is what we seek as adults in the world. And we don't understand why we end up in these disruptive, unhealthy relationships. So the inner child has a very specific moment when it's created during zero to seven. Doesn't mean that it's not all at the moment of conception, but when we get our actual story and I invite everybody to watch the movie Disney's The Kid with Bruce Willis, they do a really good job of showing the exact moment where Bruce Willis's character develops the inner child uh, sort of fragment. So what happens is during the zero to seven years, I call this the snow globe. Your snow globe gets shattered. Mom looks at you and says, oh, heck no, we don't like that here. Dad yells at you, as happened to Bruce Willis's character in that movie. Something happens. What we interpret that in our psyche is I'm not enough. I'm abandoned. I'm separate. I'm different. I'm not lovable. So Tommy, at whatever age that happened, zero to seven with dad, identified he did not belong or he was not enough. That creates the inner child. Imagine Tommy, two, three, four years old, shrunken in the corner and getting zero attention because now you grow up and all you want to do is never acknowledge him. You don't ever want to realize that he exists. This is where the first truth of any spiritual path comes in. The first truth of a spiritual path, which is in alignment with the the seven steps, is your thoughts. If you don't analyze your thoughts obsessively, know what you are thinking, you don't know that you, Tom, are telling Tommy over and over and over and over again exactly what your father told you. You are in a sort of perpetual state of abuse to that child. If you do not know the quality of your thoughts. So the truth, the first truth on my path, as in in any spiritual tradition, is control your thoughts. As soon as you know what you're thinking, you know why you're creating the life you've created. And you know exactly why your inner child hasn't been nurtured and nourished. So you said that you have a lot of good bucket items from mom. And dad, not so good. Not that he's a bad person. And this is very important. It does not matter how lovely or how horrific a childhood you have. Everybody's snow globe has a crack in it. If there was abuse or alcoholism or violence, maybe your snow globe is shattered tremendously. And if you had an idyllic childhood that you thought, maybe it's a small crack. But everybody's psyche is cracked. At one point, mom and dad said, no, we don't want that version of you here. And that inner child was created. So what you speak of is something called a wrong alliance. The triangle should be you at the tip of the triangle, mom and dad at the bottom, meeting your needs and loving you unconditionally. That doesn't happen to anybody. You have an alliance in this case with your mom. 
So your dad is at the tip of the triangle. Therefore, in order for you to become whole, you need to integrate your father and especially his bad buckets. It's hard to swallow if it wasn't so great and nobody's putting bad bucket items in the bad buckets because they're good things. So it has to do with a lot of inner work to recognize that you are indeed those qualities. Tommy can only grow into the adult Tom if you understand and integrate your father and that those bad buckets are indeed you in you and that you can love yourself in spite of having those bad bucket items. Yes. And that's, that's why we don't reverse. We right. integrate. Right. Yeah. And that's what I've been working on. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a long path. It is. This I'm is, not going to lie. This is a spiritual journey. There's no end to a spiritual journey. Even when we're out of the body, we go to a certain plane in the universe. We're at rest and then we incarnate again. And if you don't believe in reincarnation, that's fine. You know that ultimately your spiritual life during the 80, 90 years that you're here never ends. So spirit and matter are never separate. That's really what Jesus taught. You're divine and you're human all at once. Every single situation, even if it's considered material like work or money or sex, is spiritual in nature. Those two states of being are never, ever separate. Wow. All right, let's, let's go back to the seven gates. Okay. And in the book, you say that the seven gates, each gate has seven doors. So that's in uh, relationship to Teresa of Avila. St. Teresa of Avila was a Christian mystic. She wrote a beautiful book called The Interior Castle. And she speaks similarly metaphor of this castle having a lot of doors and rooms and chambers. So as you progress through the gates and you start removing these veils and you become the naked truth with yourself, you're going to discover that one veil or one truth or one gate or one door has several layers. That's what I mentioned earlier, the, the psychological musical chair. So if you're working on manipulation or coercion or vanity or greed, it's not, oh, I'm just greedy. Now you're going to start seeing how greed shows up in your life. Oh, I did that there. Oh, I did this here. And you're going to just start seeing all the many manifestations of gluttony or greed or envy or pride or, you know, vanity in your life. So you're going to spend time in one gate at one door, opening all the layers, letting it gradually unfold for you to see how you live out that archetype or that pattern or that theme or that thief, or that sin, or that, you know, vice, whatever name you want to give it. So these doors aren't just, you know, knock, knock, knock. I recognize that I'm, I have vanity and now I'm on to gluttony. It, it doesn't work that way. It's a gradual unfolding. And it's fascinating to really get to know your psyche and how you lie to yourself and all the different ways you show up in that one veil. It's, it's an absolute fascinating you know, just self-discovery process. So now is this, is this where the workbook comes in? Is it you're working yes. on each of these gates? Yes. So the gates are linked to the, the steps. Okay. So the workbook is set up first, populate your good buckets and your bad buckets. Once you have your bad buckets, now you know 
what you're saying to yourself, to your inner child, you know what you don't like about yourself, you know what you judge in others, it's linked to your values, all of that is explained in the book. The second part, other than the buckets, is the child script. How did you show up as a child? What did they say about you and how would you describe yourself? That's clearer about your true self. That's sort of what you're trying to get back to, that child idyllic state. The seven steps are linked to the level of self-discovery. So they're very simple. I break them down into child, teenager, adults. And I just wrote a book called Spiritual Adulting that takes it even a step further if you want to even get deeper. But this is very, very spiritual, this text. And in every situation, you can do these steps in your head and you can sort of analyze your thoughts and have spiritual progress in in just a matter of minutes. So the first three steps are extremely important. They correlate to the child. So you need to know a couple of things. Two major things. Your needs have never been met and you have never been loved unconditionally. Doesn't mean your parents didn't love you and it didn't mean they didn't feed and clothe you. But your true needs were never met and you were never loved unconditionally. And you show it up in the world pretty much 24-7 as a child, seeking love, seeking your needs. There are four unmet needs. We all have all four. We have all have love as a major need. And of the other three needs, there's one that pretty much dictates, although we have all of them, safety and security, protection and validation. In our world, validation is a big one, the car, the money, the house, et cetera. So that's a big part in the Western world is validation needs, but we have them all. So if you understand that your psyche is set up to 24 seven, get your needs met, you know that you're in child all the time. Your subconscious is 99.9% of your life dictates that your conscious mind is so unimportant until you do this work. It's practically non-existent. You think you're making conscious choices, but you're not. So the first three steps are super important to understand why and what. First step is any single situation that causes any problem, anything, doesn't matter if the fork fell on the floor at the restaurant or if it's the drama of your life. On a scale of one to 10, you're going to ask yourself, is this mother or father? Every single situation, person, place, thing, or situation that creates any sort of disruption, negativity, upheaval, drama, even if it's something minor like breaking a nail, is representative of your mother and father. This is linked back to the inner child. What happened when Tommy was created? Dad yelled at you, mom looked at you funny. You interpreted, I'm not enough, I'm not lovable, I'm not worthy. You show up in every single situation back to that moment, whether you know it or not. Trying to get mom and dad to do it differently, to tell you, oh, Tom, you are enough, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean that. And since they didn't, since they can't, since that has passed, your subconscious is stuck in that moment, and every single person, place, thing, or situation shows up as a representative of mom or dad to try to get your need met at that moment 
to say that you're lovable, worthy enough, etc. So it does not matter if you ever knew your parents, if they died, if they adopt, you were adopted, it does not matter. This is in your psyche from the moment of conception. The story of zero to seven is just the story, but you already got this programming from the moment of conception. So the first three steps, first step is, is it mother or father? The moment you can identify the fork dropped on the floor and it's father, you're in child. You know, you're seeking your needs. You know that you're not enough. You know that you're not lovable. You know that automatically you're looking for love and getting your needs met. That's the first question. Second question is, what don't I like about the situation or the person placing? Everything you judge is awesome. We are told not to judge. And I have a saying, judgments are confessions and they're great. Your judgments are linked to your values. Most people can spew their values and have no clue how they're living, denying those values and betraying those values. So in a session, if I know what you judge, I know what you value, I can take you to wholeness or you take yourself to wholeness. I just sort of provide the ahas. So the second question is, what don't I like about the person, place, thing or situation? The moment you're judging another, you're judging Tommy. You're telling Tommy, that is what I don't like about you. That is why you're small. That's why you're unlovable. That's why you're unworthy. And it keeps your inner child small, 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 small. And all you're doing in that moment, if you go to the bad buckets, is being the parent, any one of the parents, but usually the one that you didn't have the alliance with. So your second step is directly related to the spiritual law that I mentioned earlier, the law of correspondence. As within, so without. Whatever you're judging about that person is what you judge about yourself. That law is how I live my life. It is, it's amazing. You just realize everything you truly think about yourself. So it's that first truth of thought comes through that question and that law. And the third step is what need does it fulfill? Another way that I write this or ask a client is what does it prove about you? So when you drop the fork and you don't like that it's dirty. What does it prove? Does it prove that you're dirty? Does it prove you're that you're a sloppy? Does it prove that you're clumsy? What does it prove about you? It fulfills a need for you to not be enough, for you to be fill in the blank what you judged in step two. This is the vicious cycle that we are in 24-7, unless we stop it. It's true. I see a lot of truth there. It's just like a therapy session instead of a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to say this, though. I think this is where a lot of therapists miss the beat. You know, because they don't dig this deep. And I think this is why all my life I've been to counselors, therapists, psychiatrists. Psychiatrists always want to give you a pill. Therapists want to talk about it. But no, and until I found Donna is her name, and she digged into my Akashic records is when I started fixing stuff. So I think a lot of the other modalities to help people with their problems miss this part. Yes. And the thing is that as therapists, and I am a trained therapist, we're sort of what I call soft corners or holding the space and empathy and compassion. And I'm all about that. 
but we need hard edges. We need hard truths. So my daughter jokes and says that I'm a reality counselor and I smash snow globes <laughs> for a living. Well, ultimately, in your first five minutes of a session with me, I'm removing your veils. I'm shattering your snow globe. I'm getting to your truths. Then we can work. It's like if you don't clean the wound, then you just put a Band-Aid. So I just clean it out. It might hurt and sting for a moment, but then we can get to work to healing. So it's important that we feel comfortable in our profession to have hard conversation and hard truths. The story is the story and it deserves to be listened to. There's a lot of information that I glean from a story. I can see archetypes and patterns and threads in the characters, but ultimately I need to take the client to uncomfortable places so they can recognize the truths that that they're not telling themselves because we are set up to lie. We're set up to self-betray and lie to ourselves. So this type of work, you can become your own healer. You can become your own therapist. You can become your own guru, which is ultimately my goal. My goal is to remove reliance off of readers and gurus and teachers and therapists. We are necessary for a certain time in your life, a part of your journey, but it is your journey. So I think that when I outfit people with these videos and these lectures and these podcasts and these workbooks, all free available on my site, it's so that they can become ultimately the teacher that they need for themselves, which is what I had to do for myself. So Donna or myself, we're simply what I call pebbles on the path. We're just imparting a little bit of truth or wisdom or knowledge, and you keep going and it's yours. And I think that's really important. No one heals anybody. You're only here to heal yourself. I can't even heal my three little birds. <laughs> I can only model and mirror the work. And whoever wants to, you know, join me or, or, or get something from it, great. It's really not, not anyone else's journey, but your own. Hmm. Wow. You know, in the book, you talk about cancer. And keeping our body alkaline. And I'm going to go back a little bit here because we, we went through a lot here. So I'm going to lighten it up a little bit before we move on. <laughs> okay. I'm a big fan of keeping my body alkaline. I measure my pH every morning with my first urine, but with a pH stick. So, and to your point in the book, if you keep your body alkaline, which is 7.0 and not acidic, or not too alkaline, but right, you just got to nail it or come close. You're going to stay away from cancer pretty much. So do you, do you monitor your own alkalinity daily still? No, I don't. And that's actually a metaphor. Right. So let's go back a moment to the creation of the world. In every tradition, whether it was the word was spoken and the word was God, represents the Akash, the ether. Okay. The creation of how the world is spelled out in the Bible. In every creation myth, it's similar. It's ether, air, fire, water, earth. Earth is the last element, the densest element. It's how our chakra system is created from the fifth chakra of the ether to the first chakra earth element. So, What I speak about in the book, and it's true, I did have cancer and I did sort of measure the the alkalinity and so forth. What I was using was a metaphor to the seven gates that no matter what 
chakra or no matter what tradition or no matter what your belief system is in this case, your physical body, the principles of the universe are intact. So seven, if we look at the planes in Hinduism, there's something called the lokas. So the lokas are the planes of the universe and there's sub lokas. So below seven and above seven, sort of that midpoint. In my theory, I call it the 48 to 52. Zero to 100, and this is linked to a law called the law of polarity in the universal laws. Zero to 100 is child. You're trying to be all like your mom or all like your dad or nothing like your mom or nothing like your dad. You're in child. You're in zero. You're in 100. The point of the book is to take you to the alkalinity, the seven, the midpoint, what I call the 48 to 52. All truth happens at the midpoint. The Tao, the way, the golden mean. In my language, it's the 48 to 52. So I use it as a metaphor that you can't be like Goldilocks, too hot or too cold. You've got to be just right. And one of the things you may not know, when you measure your alkalinity, you're actually measuring your mineral reserves. Mineral reserves are linked to an archetype called Pluto. And Pluto is your mineral riches and your spiritual riches. So ironically or not so ironically, the pH, when we look at it from the body, the mineral reserves, what we're talking about, when it's balanced, when it's exactly at the point it's supposed to be, you get spiritual riches and material riches. You get spiritual wealth and physical or financial wealth. So you see this theme over and over and over again, this midpoint 48 to 52, seven, which is the number of the universe. Wow. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is interesting. Thank you. Also, let's talk about where astrology comes in this because you're an astrologist as well. And you mentioned astrology in the book a few times. So where does this fit in? And is, I mean, I get the universe and the astrology and the cancer. We talked about the cancer being a beehive. The beehive constellation or the honeypot. Right. Kind of what keeps us stuck in low-level consciousness, like the animal consciousness. Okay. And we all are born through family, through our parents. So that's the symbolism of cancer, not the sign of cancer. Okay. Although we all have cancer somewhere in our chart. So your soul chooses your day, your time, and your place of birth in an attempt to learn the most it can in this lifetime, to live out its soul's purpose. So that's what the astrology chart is. It's you on a piece of paper. So if you've ever seen it, it's a bunch of symbols. It's a whole other language. The symbols are simply archetypes or planets. There's a Pluto, there's a Neptune, there's a Saturn, there's a moon, there's a Mars. That's pretty much it. What happens is it's you on a piece of paper because it's your psyche. The planets communicate. If you have two planets that are communicating in a positive way or soft aspect, they're what I call collaborative voices. Goes back to the good buckets. These are things that are coping skills, strengths. They don't bother you. But if two planets are sort of communicating in a, in a difficult way, they're called hard aspects. I call those competitive voices. They create in your mind dissonance, incongruities. 
insecurities. And you got this from the moment of conception, from what your mom and dad were struggling with at that moment, their business, their cookies, their body, it doesn't matter. So it's their mind that shows up on your astrology chart as the themes you need to work on in this lifetime. There's very many vibrations of these planets. So there's a low level uh, vibration or consciousness and high level. Each planet and each sign has four levels of consciousness. So you can live it out as ego or you can live it out as soul and divine will. You can live it out as sexual deviancy or you can live it out as the most spiritual experience you have. We get to choose. That's our free will. We are not destined to live anything out a certain way but we do need to have consciousness about it. And the chart teaches us how to, through our transits, which is what's happening every single day, activates the planets, activates those voices and says, oh, I'm going to do this differently, or I'm going to seek a teacher, I'm going to go back to school, or I'm going to go get a job. And through those activations, we're stimulated and we start growing and learning and meeting new people. So it's predetermined in the sense that Yes, just like your parents and your genetics and where you were born, you can't change those things. You can't change sort of the combination of the planets and how they show up on your astrology chart. But you get to choose your free will, which is ultimately the teenager that leads to the adult in my book, how you're going to respond to those situations or show up for yourself in the world. And you get to pick if it's going to be child, teenager, or adult once you become aware of it. The astrology chart is an amazing tool of self-discovery. It's you on a piece of paper. You would be fascinated to know everything on that chart. It's just spectacular. And it's a lifelong study. Huh. Is there a reason since I'm a cancer, I can feel the full moon coming like a freight train? The moon is the planet of cancer. And cancers, like all water signs, I'm a Pisces, are extremely intuitive. Our language is of love is read my mind. You should know what I'm thinking. We're intuitive. We're sentient. We feel each other. So it's what you learned in the, in the womb from mom. She met your needs. Therefore, others should meet your needs. And you shouldn't have to say anything. They should just know. <laughs> I have a moon in cancer, so I know that very well. I've had to work through that. <laughs> I can predict a full moon a week before. It's like a freight train coming, and it's like, oh, no, here we go again. Yeah, anyway. and the moon is is the planet. Total okay. subject off this book, but. No, no, it's relevant, and I do share a lot of astrology in the chart. Um, I go through some of the archetypes, uh, some of the, the patterns um, with your sun sign, with your moon sign, your ascendant. It's a lot of what I do because it's just another layer of understanding self. It's no different. Um, actually, Jungian psychology, which is what I'm, more sort of prone to, to teach and, and do in therapy is he was an astrologer. So astrology is, is very much part of sort of the archetypes and, and the union philosophy of, of mental health. So it's a big component and it, and it helps. Even if you just know your sun sign, your moon sign and your ascendant, you could tell a lot about yourself. I actually created a reading style that with your sun, moon, and ascendant, I can tell you the entire mythology that you're living out. 
in any myth, whether it's a movie, whether it's a, a spiritual tradition, a religion, I can identify the myth for you right off the bat and show you how you live out that myth. When you identify the myth you're living, which is ultimately what you got from zero to seven, that personal mythology, but I bring it to, to religion or theater or, or you know literature, then you're like, oh yeah, that's exactly how I live my life. Now you have some, some, you know, information about how to sort of rewrite the ending. The players aren't going to change. Right. That's the beauty of your astrology chart. Those players are the players of the players. They are not changing. But how you live them out and how they show up in your life can change dramatically. That's your free will. Okay. We have more agency than we give ourselves credit for, but we were never given permission to do this. Hmm. This is crazy and very <laughs> interesting. I, I, I'm going to come back to the book about the cookie monster here in a minute and milking the moment. But do you do counseling by, like, if somebody wanted to use you, do you do it by Zoom if they're not located in, in South Florida? Zoom or phone. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And you're, and you're taking patients? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> and you've got another book coming out. I actually have four books coming out. Okay. You're a busy I've person. I've written a book called, yeah, <laughs> after my uh, three-year hiatus on the couch grieving and uh, with cancer, I woke up very energized and it's been really interesting. I wrote a book called Hidden Truths. It's the mysteries of the universe. So there's a great book for your readers if you're interested in learning the laws of the universe. It's free online. It's called The Kabbalion, K-Y-B-A-L-I-O-N. Those are the seven laws of the universe. In Hidden Truths, I add an extra law called the law of octaves, which is what this book is written on. Okay. So that introduces you to the eight laws of the universe, some astrology, some practical applications. The thing is, we're in the new era or the age of Aquarius. And a lot of these terms have been utilized incorrectly, like manifestation or visualization or co-creation. So I really try to like explain the origin from the universal perspective, the universal law, so that we're educated as to what the law state and how we can use these laws in our favor for business, for money, for relationships, for family, for spirituality. Because again, spirit and matter are always together. Um, I've also written spiritual adulting, which is actually from zero to death, from womb to tomb, step-by-step explanation of what happens at every single age in the spiritual process. You are guided spiritually, just your, just like you're guided biologically. So to think not, is just lack of awareness. So I wrote that. I also wrote something called The Truth is in the Triangle, which is a relationship book for people to renegotiate relationships or start relationships on healthy boundaries and clarity and, and unmet needs and non-negotiables. And it's, it's a small book, but it's, it's pretty powerful. All of these workbooks are on my website for free, by the way. The books will be out later this year, but all of the workbooks and the video series to accompany are all available on my website and my YouTube. And then I wrote Dethroning Olympus, which is a family system. Because as parents, we don't realize that we're castrating our children. Ultimately, if your parents don't do their inner work, which was what I discovered and how I was hurting unknowingly my children, 
But we don't do our shadow work. If we don't integrate our bad buckets, what we're doing is telling our kids, live our unlived life. Do my work for me. So I tell parents, do your work so your kids don't have to do it for you. That's how we clean up the world, our family, our system. So as soon as I started doing my work, then I could say, wow, okay, now I'm a good mom. Now I'm actually loving my children. Prior to that, it was just sort of what we would define as, as love, you know, feeding them, clothing them. But really love towards our children is about doing our own work, integrating our shadow, looking at our bad buckets. If not, our children will get the baggage and continue. And then we call this the sins of the father or ancestral trauma. And we really need to start doing our work. And a lot of parents, we just don't, because we don't know. I obviously didn't want to harm my kids. Once I realized what I was doing, I shifted that. That's, that was the catalyst, like I mentioned earlier for the book. And I've continued. So I work with a lot of families so that parents do their work and their children have permission to do their work. And we're, we're cleaning up the family system. So all of those are coming out later this year, but I have hundreds of videos and podcast episodes and free workbooks. So if you want to tackle individual couples, family, it's all available for free for your, your listeners. What is the name of your podcast? Mistress of the Subconscious. Okay. Good name. Good, good, good name. <laughs> Another question I have occurred when you were talking about this is, we're in a time and age, like when I was born, parents got married, waited to have babies, you know, waited a couple of years to have babies. I think with the new generation, they're rushing to have children without proper guidance. Do you think that's going to have an effect on our future? So I think there are a lot of unplanned children. And that definitely has an effect. So I have a master's in public health. And I remember being in my public health class many, many years ago. And the teacher talking about taking two years to plan a pregnancy so that you can heal if you drink or eat improperly, uh, so you can have healthy habits. Because two years, and this is also written in the Ayurvedic literature, preps the body. So I think that's what you're speaking of. So if you're having a one night stand or an unplanned pregnancy or rushing into something, you don't have time to sort of prep the soil. Part of that preparation is not just physical. It's mental, emotional, spiritual. I'm waiting to receive this child or this being to come into my space. I'm financially sound or physically healthy. That all impacts the level of consciousness of the child. The child matches up to the vibration of the parent. Now, at the spiritual level, it's all perfect. It's all divine, right? So if you didn't wait, like I didn't wait, I just got pregnant. It was divinely guided, right? So from the material standpoint, yes, there's some things that you could do. But if we believe in spiritual law, then all is sort of perfect and we can't play God. So there's that. <laughs> I think the newer generation is moving towards not wanting to have children. I see that a lot in my younger clients. They don't want to have children or they want to adopt or they do want to wait until they're much older. So I think that's going to be interesting as we enter the age of Aquarius and you know more sort of accountability spiritually, what we put out 
in the world in terms of children level of consciousness where we ourselves are. So I'm seeing that trend in my practice with younger kids that they're like, no, I don't want children at all, or I'll adopt or I'll wait until I'm much older. And it'll be interesting, I think, to see the level of consciousness um, of that generation and those children as they wait and they do deeper work, then they sort of pass that on to to the children that are going to be conceived with those Mm. people. Okay. Milking the moment, chapter nine. And you have a quote here from the Cookie Monsters. Today we live in the moment, unless it's unpleasant, in which case we will eat a cookie. Yes. <laughs> so let me tell you the, the sort of explanation of where I got the Cookie Monster and, and the milking the moment. So there is a universal law called the principle of mentalism. I said earlier that it's very hard for us to grasp the vastness of the universe and therefore ourselves because we are the universe. A spark of that lives within us. So I equate the universal consciousness like a big piece of cookie dough. So think of Nestle, the roll. You are a little plop of that that you put on the pan. I'm a little plop of that I put on the pan and we have 12 or 24 little plops on the pan when we make cookies. So we come from the universal consciousness. It lives within us. It's it's the Christ consciousness that, that Jesus modeled. It's the divine. It's what does not die when our body returns to the soil. So it's a cookie dough. We're, we're a little plop of that cookie dough. So that's sort of the metaphor that I use. We are not the entire slab of cookie dough, although we want to think we are many times because we're all somewhat narcissistic, but we're just a little spark. Okay, so we first have to identify and remember that we are indeed a spark of the universe. One of the things I see, and I I write about this in depth in my spiritual adulting series, is there are certain marked ages, specifically 42, where we want to really connect back to that original cookie dough, to the universal consciousness. We've sort of met perhaps our financial goals or we're in the right job. We have the right partner, our children, our home, our mortgage. And now we want something else. Our psyche is set up to go to the womb, not the universal cookie dough. Mm. In our psyche, we are mistaken. And we think that the womb is perfect. I call the womb toxic waters. I have a theory called toxic water theory. The womb was not symbiotic. The womb was actually parasitic. Your mom said, this is love. This is how you feel. This is what you do to get your needs met. It was not a perfect environment. Yes, we were breathing and fed. Again, basic, basic needs. But real larger needs were not met in the womb. So what we're really trying to do to get back to the cookie dough, the God, the universal consciousness, the heavens, whatever it is that you believe spiritually, that of which we come from. So that's the metaphor I use. So there are points in our life, maybe after an illness or a divorce or a loss or 42, which is a very marked age, where we attempt to seek spirituality or God or religion to get back to the universal cookie dough. The trick is We cannot think that the womb, that our shadow love language 
is the universe. It's not, it's a trick in the psyche. So when I shatter these, these metaphorical snow globes is to get you out of that illusion or a magical thinking of the womb and take you to the universe. So milk the moment is a really simple technique. Basically, you can set your alarm right now and in five minutes, it'll ring. Something that you're saying, hearing, or thinking is guidance. So that's like one of the basic techniques I use with clients when they want to start developing their intuition. Whatever is happening at that moment that you hear, that you're thinking, or you're saying is your guidance because of that law of correspondence, as within, so without, as above, so below. So if I'm saying it, it's the guidance you need. If I'm thinking it, it's the guidance I need. If I'm hearing it, it's the guidance I need. So setting, I I usually say in the book, 2 p.m., set your alarm at 2 p.m. You're not conscious of it. And all of a sudden something comes to your consciousness and awareness, that's your guidance. That's the beginning of connecting to that universal cookie dough, bypassing the emotions of the toxic waters of mom. (laughs) All right, this has been interesting and enjoyable and it's it, and the book's amazing like i said i can't wait to finish it i mean i'm halfway i think i'm in chapter well this is where i left off last night chapter nine so i've got 11 10 11 12 and then the 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 workbook to finish so it's it, it's a it's a good book and i think i'm a big fan of what you do and i think that you know, there's a lot. I think everybody in our world today has struggled somewhere along the lines because of the womb. And absolutely, I am grateful that it took me. Unfortunately, it took me 62 years to, or 60 years, 61 years to figure out that I need more help than a psychiatrist or a counselor is giving me. It's perfect timing, Tom. At 60, we have our second Saturn return. And our Saturn returns lasts about 28 to 30 years. And it's usually, and this is actually written in the Vedas, usually when we dedicate ourselves to what's called moksha or liberation. So you're right on schedule. And remember, this isn't a race. I always say that the earth, earthly world is competitive, winning, whereas the spiritual world is just play. So what you're inviting yourself to do is play. I actually teach an inner child workshop, what I call the inner child slumber party. And the reason is to bring it to the play, the child that wants to play within so it can grow. But spiritual work is just play and it's eternal. It it never ends. There's no winning. There's no medal. There's no competitiveness to it. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, this is definitely a different age for me. And I'm trying to tackle some things that I should have tackled long ago. But, you know, it's like you said, it's timing is timing. So. All right. So where can people connect with you? So the best place is my website, which is dryahia.com. That's D-R-Y-A-H-I-A.com. There is a contact me page if you want a reading, a session, want to know more. There's also a tab to workbooks. I've got the seven gate workbook. If you don't have the book, I've got the dethroning Olympus workbook. If you want to work on your children and your family structure, truth is in the triangle workbook. If you want to work on your relationship, there's also the 12 truths to a spiritual path. That's also linked to my Patreon page. 
It's the um, spiritual starter kit and you get a video every week and access to me. And again, no matter what you're already doing in your spiritual life, it ties in because all of these traditions are saying the same thing. I just put it in very workable format. Step one, step two, do these worksheets, these activities. So it's spelled out. That's one of the things that I saw was missing from spirituality. The language was very vague. And so I needed something more clear, more definitive. So that's what what I attempt to write. I also have a YouTube channel. I teach at the university and I own my own metaphysical college. If any of your listeners want to study astrology, consciousness, Akashic Records, I teach it through the university. And that's Hidden Truths College of Metaphysics. And I also have tons, tons of videos, hours upon hours of videos on astrology, metaphysics, psychology, depth psychology, archetypes, mythology. You can find it on on my YouTube. And then Mistress of the Subconscious is my podcast. Okay. All right. So those all links will be in the show notes as well as a link to get the book. Uh, Also, before we go, first of all, so much gratitude for you taking the time today. I, I appreciate it very much. And this is a great subject. And like I said, I've been wanting to touch base on this since I learned about Akashic Records. And the amazement of it is amazing to me because it's just it's dealing with some very hidden things that have surfaced that I didn't realize were there. Uh, but this is one question I ask all my guests. It has nothing to do with the topic. But if Dr. Francis had 30 to 45 minutes to kill and just chill out, what album or artist would you put on to listen to? <laughs> well, I'm going through a bit of a pit bull phase right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the South Florida. So I listen, I usually wake up around 3 30, 4 o'clock. From about 4 a.m. till about noon, I listen to Krishna Das. And it is the Hanuman Chalisa, which I highly recommend. He is just stunning. That's a mantra. And it's beautiful. That whole album is amazing. And then about 12 within my clients and workload, when I'm able to, I listen to a Pitbull playlist I have on Spotify because he's so funny. He's Cuban and it's South Florida and it just hits the roots and I'm all about the roots. So that's what I'm into now. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. All right. Thank you very much. Bless you and take care. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting into this workbook and digging up and I'll reach out to you and tell you how it's going. Thank you. I would love that. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining in today with the Rebel Health Coach, Tom Underwood. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you can catch all the episodes. With desire and commitment, you can implement a lifestyle of wellness and fitness. For the support, encouragement, and tools you need to be successful, visit TomUnderwood.net.